You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. We've never done this before, have we? I don't think we have. This is an introduction to an interview that we did with Greg Boyd. Oh, I meant recording this in singlets. And flip-flops. Oh, I think we've done that before. Oh, okay. Matt, let's be honest. Oh, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> it's the best way to record a podcast for all of you podcasters out there. Unitards and flip-flops. Uh-huh. Yep. The spring weather is getting to our it's getting into our heads. No, this is the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Welcome. My name is Ben Sternke. I'm here with Matt Tebby, who is a good friend of mine and a co-pastor with me and um, one of the co-founders of Gravity Leadership. And uh, you are listening to this podcast because you uh, saw that we're interviewing Greg Boyd, and you want to hear from Greg. Uh, and so but we just wanted, before we got to the interview, which starts with uh, heavy metal drumming uh, and proceeds from there, and then we talk theology and leadership. But, um, but we, wanted to, uh, we wanted to record a little uh, intro, I guess, to this, because what Greg describes in this episode is a, uh, just a beautiful... Like, I feel we just recorded this interview, and so I'm still kind of living in the afterglow of it. Um, the, the Holy Spirit was at work. But it was a beautiful description of, um, of how the, ta- the tactics of how do we live in love. Like, how do we, if we have this commitment to living in love, not just with our personal interactions, but in the way that we steward and lead that which we have say-so over, hmm. um, how does that play out? Because I think that's, a, that's, the, that's the big anxiety for a lot of leaders mm. is, is, well, if I, commit, if I make this commitment to live in love, well, what happens then? And so the, the couple things, Matt, you were saying this, like the couple things that we heard Greg say is that in order to lead in love, in order to actually practice leadership in the way of love, you have to have a commitment to being compassionately curious yep. about your own responses to things, about other people's, uh, you know, if, the, if you've got a staff member who's mis, uh, like not measuring up to, you know, sort of standards or whatever. Other people's issues. Other people's issues. Um, you have to have a commitment to becoming pas- compassionately curious about those things. Yes. Yes. And you'll notice Greg will say, ask why, ask why, ask why, ask right. why. And what he's, that's what we train people to do. Right. Like, so Greg kind of intuits this because he's mm-hmm. off the charts competency and yeah. like c- cognition. You'll hear him rattle off biblical references and um, uh, no one I know has a better recall and grasp of scripture. No one I know has has just imbibed scripture yeah, more than Greg Boyd. It's genius level stuff. I mean, no, yeah. not just genius, but you can tell he's really spent a lot of time chewing on it and it just comes out over right, and over and right. over. So he's if, digested it. Right. So if you're not part of the 0.03% <laughs> that Greg Greg Boyd is, right. you don't just know how to do this. Yeah, yeah. You have to learn it. Like mm-hmm. we had to learn it. Yeah. We are learning it. We are learning it. Right. Yeah. So when Greg says, um, ask why, ask why, ask why, 
we we have worked hard to break that down into mm-hmm. here's how you learn how to ask why. Yeah. And ask why about other people, but also about yourself. Like, a, like yeah. one of the one of the biggest things about leading in the way of love is that you realize that um, tons you always have to grapple with your own tendency to want control, your own tendency to want to like demand your way. You have to grapple with that almost in, at, at every turn. And so, part of leading in the way of love is is to is to become compassionately curious about your own desires. You have to name what you want, and then examine that and say, does this you know, like, does this desire, uh, you know, can I can I have this and and have Jesus, you know, well, at the same time? Yeah, and that's the second thing he talks about. He talks about you have to die to yourself. You have to crucify uh, your ego or your yeah. flesh. Or and and I think that when a lot of times when we hear you have to die to yourself, a lot of people internalize that as self loathing. Right. I have right? to feel terrible about myself. I have to hate myself. I have to. Um, I have to Feel condemn awful. myself. Yeah. So we tend to internalize or intellectualize die to self as hate me. <laughs> right? Yeah. What Greg is talking about, and what and it is a direct line from what Greg is saying to what we train people to do, is maybe dying to self is about learning to receive God's love right in the midst of where you really are. Yes. Yeah, because right. dying to yourself is dying to the impulses that you have that set themselves up against receiving love. Yes. Like, they're, they're love replacements. They're idols. Yes, they're idols. For me to have control in this situation is not... Is, I can't simultaneously have control here and be a recipient and a giver of God's love. Yep. And I have to decide what's better. Yep. Right? So, yeah, so when Greg says die to self, what he's saying is learn how to... Um, relinquish, surrender your wants mm. to God yes. and meet him there. Yeah. Right? And so this doesn't mean we become, you know, we move out into the desert and we live on a 30-foot pole, you know, not having any, it's not like this ascetic solution. It's mm-hmm. not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is just learning to be more vigilantly present, sober-minded, fully yeah. awake in our lives and and noticing our desires and wants as a as the meeting place of God, yeah. as a burning bush, yeah. right? Yep. We have to, and we have to notice them to discern them. And most of our tendency is either to deny our wants and say, "Oh, those are bad. I shouldn't. I shouldn't think about them. I shouldn't want it." Yeah. You know, and yeah, we yeah. try to shut it off. We right? judge. We yeah. Or we go after it and we say, "I like that's going to give me what I need." Yeah. We kill it or fulfill it. Kill it or fulfill it. And uh, we've written a blog post about this. Hmm. But uh, kill it or fulfill it, or we uh, learn to name it and discern it. And mm. and see what God you know would say. Meet God in the midst of it. Yeah, uh, being honest about it. Yeah, this is an everyday um, Ignatian spirituality. This is a right. this yeah, is yeah. a it's this a is a, an ordinary mysticism. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. This is a, a contemplative life for everyday ordinary people. Yes. Like not all of us can be Thomas Merton. Right. Right. But we all can learn to be more present and actively engaged in what God is doing. Yeah. So flagging this for us, because uh, Greg's been a big influence on us, and he talks about our process on this podcast. Yeah. And I just want you to know, if this stirs with you, resonates with you, if if Greg's vision for living in love calls, is like deep crying out to deep for you, um, let us know. Like, this is our, yeah. this is what we want to do with our lives. Yeah. When I grow up, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to be? Yeah. This is what we're doing with our lives when we're doing gravity. This is why yeah. we do this. So Yeah. And that specifically is Gravity Leadership Academy. There's always a link to this in the show notes. Um, but that is, when we say our process, like, that's what we're talking about, is that, that's the process that we've been curating. And it's always in, we, we say it's always in beta, because we're always learning and we're always adding to this. Um, but that's our process. And so, if this does resonate with you, I invite you to check it out. And uh, we're always starting new cohorts, um, and some of the most beautiful uh, fruit comes out of these places where yes. leaders leaders learn in their everyday leadership and lives to do this, to actually do it. Yep. It's amazing. All right. All That's right. enough. Enough from us. All right. Here's Greg talking about drumming. Oh, and, and that's why I got into it in the first place is, uh, you know, I played drums all my life, but when I heard speed, speed metal drumming, I'd never heard anything like that. Those bass drums are like a single stroke roll. Yeah, and, and and at some point I said I gotta learn how to do that. And yeah. So for the last four years I've been practicing this new technique, heel toe method, it's called, and yeah. you get the speed. And so I every day go down and put on a metronome and I try to 
at least through 20 minutes where I try to keep up to, you know, to get my speed up there a little more. Yeah. And uh, so I, I can do like 180 beats per second for mm. a couple measures. Mm. But then, oh, your shins just get cramped because you got to raise your throat. Yeah. And so you're just developing. It's just physical. It's just so hard. Yeah. I can go 160 pretty much nonstop for forever. Woo. Yeah. But uh, wow. you go up to 180, it's, it's tough. So then, then the shins cramp up, huh? <laughs> my uh... be like a, like a that fast. <laughs> that's that's great. It's incredible. There you go. It's been great to have you on the podcast today. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done bragging. Yeah, we, we we should just talk about speed metal. No. <clears throat> yeah. I well, try my... to listen to speed metal, and I have this. I have kind of ADD, and it it makes my insides feel like they're going crazy. Hmm. Really? Has yes. the opposite effect on you than yeah. it does on Greg. Yeah. But that's weird, though, because, I mean, I've done research on this. They've actually, people with ADD usually find uh, speed metal or just heavy rock to be calming. Huh. Well. Yeah. So, uh, you, you, you're not finding your zone yet, man. You just got to like, let go and get in the zone. Maybe you need 160 beats per minute, not 180 <laughs> is a little much. Or maybe... Maybe I'm a very special, unique kind of ADD. Oh, yeah. You would like that, wouldn't you? I would you? like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Greg uh, Greg Boyd is our guest today on the Gravity Leadership are, are Podcast. Are we on now? Yeah. We're, we're, yeah I just hit record man. halfway through you oh, yeah. talking about speed uh, drumming. Yeah. 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 And uh, good to see yeah. you again, Greg. We're informal. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about power and how Christians, humans relate to power in... Uh, Different ways, and there's all kinds mm-hmm. of hell breaking loose right now in our world. Yeah, you know, we have leaders of countries and leaders of churches, leaders of businesses abusing. Mani- yeah, mm. yeah, uh, yeah. It kind of hits close to home here, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. So we we have an attraction to an ungodly display and demonstration of power, and it's wrecking havoc in us. So we we're curating conversations around this, and we wanted to have you in, Greg, yes. to talk about. Uh, something you've been working on and talking about for the last couple of years, which is your cruciform hermeneutic. Yes? Yep. As as explicated in your book, Crucifixion of the Warrior God and Cross Vision, would you, by way of introduction, uh, tell us who you are, for people who have never heard of Greg Boyd, maybe you live in under a rock, and also what this cruciform hermeneutic is. Give us a little summary of it. Okay, I'm Greg Boyd. I'm a... Uh, Husband to Shelly, that's my, my greatest claim to fame, uh, and a pastor of Woodland Hills Church uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, I like to write books on things, like to think about things and write about things and preach about things and whatever. Uh, so the Crucifixion of Hermeneutic is simply this. It's like I make the case. Um, I'll make it here in one minute. In the Crucifixion of the Warrior God, it takes about 200 pages. But uh, <laughs> the case of the cross is the center of everything. Uh, all scripture is God-breathed for the purpose of Pointing to people to the cross, the cruciform God, the the the, the cross as the definitive revelation of what God's character is really like. Hmm. Um, and I think the cross sums up everything Jesus was about. So when I say the cross, I don't just mean the cross in isolation from Jesus' ministry and teaching, but rather as the through line uh, that weaves together everything He was about. Hmm. Um, and and so if all Scripture is supposed to uh, is inspired to point to the cross, and here I'm thinking of John five and and, and Luke twenty four and First Corinthians fifteen three. Where, where Paul says that all, you know, that, that Jesus died according to the scripture. Yep. And N.T. Wright makes the great case that he's not saying that there's three verses back there that, that somehow predicted this, but rather the whole thrust of scripture is leading up to this hmm. and is fulfilled in this. That's why Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians 1 that all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. Everything is fulfilled in him. Hmm. And he's a piece of Israel, God's story, the whole thing. So we should interpret the Bible then through the lens of that cross, knowing that it's, it's all supposed to be leading us to him. Uh, we should then look at it and, and be asking the question: How does all this point to him? And and uh, um, yeah, just uh, just however we interpret it, what we can't do in the crucible hermeneutic is like take the revelation of God in Christ and now just put them on the same level as all the other pictures of, of God in the Bible, mm-hmm. as though they all have equal validity. Yeah, uh, this is a revelation that culminates and surpasses all previous revelations. And the New Testament itself, I argue, uh, says it, it warrants us. In fact mandates that we that we consider the revelation of God on the cross to to trump everything else uh, mm-hmm. Hebrews 1 3 or 1 1 through 3 uh, where the author says in the past God spoke in various ways at different times 
uh, the Phillips translation says that they, they, mm-hmm. get, they got glimpses of truth. But in these last days, in this last epic, uh, God's revealed himself through his own son, mm. who is the radiance of God's glory, which means that when God shines, it looks like like, like, like Jesus. And the exact representation, the Greek word there is, is character, uh, of God's hypostasis, and that's that's the word for God's essence. Is, is, so the author is saying, unlike everything that went on before, where they got approximations, they got glimpses, they got little, you know, but we've got God in person, we've got the very radiance of God's glory, and we've got the one who's exactly what God is like all the way down to his very being. Hmm. So everything, however we interpret the Bible, nothing should be inconsistent with that. Yes. It's all supposed to point to that, so it can't compete with that. Yeah. All right. End yeah. of my speech. Well, here, here's my question for you, Greg. Do your shins hurt? Because that was <laughs> an 180 beats per minute uh, explanation of a 400 some page book. That was great. All right, it's a little dense, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, love it. No, it was, it was awesome. It was great. So you're saying that Jesus is what God looks like, and the epicenter of Jesus is the cross event. Exactly, and that becomes then our lens or hermeneutic through which we interpret all of Scripture. That's, that's that's the cruciform thesis. Yes. Yes. So that that kind of freaks some people out, yeah, because well, um, it, it's, it, we're used to reading the Bible as a flat book, you know, kind of as a theological textbook that fell down from the sky, and 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 God becomes the master theologian, and the God's mainly concerned with, concerned with you getting the right answers to certain questions, like a anal theology prof in the clouds. And so on the judgment day, you'll get asked certain questions, and if you get too many of the theologies wrong, well, then you're out. Yeah. But uh, um, the, the Bible is just got to find the, the right answers to these things, you know. And, yeah. and and we tend to treat it like a cookbook where it doesn't matter where it's located. You know, it has the same meaning, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, whatever. Uh, whereas if you read it like a story, which it is, mm. it's got a directionality to it, a flow to it, you know. It, mm-hmm. it's, and a lot of stories, what happens in the last chapter or even the last sentence might change the meaning of the whole thing. It's like the, the movie, The Sixth Sense, if you ever right. saw that. Yeah. yeah well, the last, spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> last, alert. You've had your the time. The last minute of that show makes you, you, you you're like, what? Yeah. Yes. And now you got to go back and watch the whole thing again. Because, it, and, and you'll see that everything changes once you know how it ends up. Same thing with the, uh, the Book of Eli. You ever saw that oh, one? Oh, yeah. Another great show. Oh, yeah. The last yeah. minute, changes the meaning of everything. So uh, that's yeah. what happens in the Bible. He just shows up. Mm-hmm. Is a radically different kind of Messiah than what everyone was expecting, and yeah. it reveals a God who's radically different than what everyone's expecting, and that changes everything. If we allow it, yeah. it will change the way we view everything. But it, 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 unfortunately, I mean, the early church, first three centuries was better at this than the church has been throughout most of its history, hmm. because uh, uh, yeah, things fundamentally changed, I think, in the fourth century, the way we read the Bible and everything. Hmm. Um, there, there came a point where I don't think the church wanted Jesus to be the fulfillment of everything. Uh, where they wanted Jesus to just be one among other revelations, especially one among all the violent portraits of God, uh, yeah. because uh, that way, in these, these, these violent depictions of God in the Old Testament, you know, if you read Origen and Gregory of Nyssa and others uh, in the early church, they were really, re- these were problems. They're like, right. the, the surface meaning can't be the meaning it's supposed to have for us because we know what God's really like in Christ. So, but we still believe it's all inspired. And so what is its meaning? And they're wrestling with that mm-hmm. and making some good progress, I think, especially origin. Uh, but then once the church came into power, uh, the kind of power of the world always less after, mm-hmm. uh, we got to sit down with the you know the emperors and, and help run the Roman Empire. Uh, well, it's hard to do that, turning the other cheek and loving your enemies and blessing those who persecute you. States have to run by having borders and you have to be willing to enforce, you know, fight enemies on the outside and fight those who don't keep law and order on the inside. You have to use violence. And so now the church had to fight away. It's supposedly a Christian nation now, right? Yep. And, and so how do you motivate your soldiers to go out and kill when you need them to kill? Uh, it's hard to find any justification for that in Jesus. So now you just jump over Jesus and find these equally legitimate uh, portraits of God commanding genocide and whatnot. Mm. Um, and that, that's kind of been the traditional view uh, I, Ever since. So we abandoned a cruciform hermeneutic that was an intuition of the church fathers in order to legitimize violence and coercive power. And that's why, you know, the, the church throughout history has been willing to go to incredible exegetical lengths to get the Bible to, to, to square up with its dominant view of God. And the dominant view of God, the classical view of God throughout church history has been that God is timeless and immutable, altogether immutable. Nothing can affect him and altogether impassable. He never has any strong emotions and he never suffers. Uh, hmm. Well, it's very hard to find that God in the Bible. Every verb attributed to God in the Bible seems to suggest that he's moving with us in mm-hmm. sequence. Yes. Um, and, and God's always got strong emotions and God suffers. And 
you have all this in the Bible. Um, so how do you reconcile your view of God with the Bible? Well, you go through a lot of gymnastics. Oh, it's just their perspective. It's just this blah, blah, blah. But when it came to the violence, that's literal. <laughs> we can't, we can't say that was an anthropomorphism, yes. right? God, want, yes, God being grieved. God being grieved is an anthropomorphism. Right. God being violent is just who God is. Yes. <laughs> they got it exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so you have all this progress you know, throughout the Bible. The views change because people get clear about who God is, like an animal sacrifice. It starts like, oh, God really enjoys the smell of those roasted you know, pigeons. Because uh, it's always saying 13 times, and God had a sweet smelling savor. Yep. Which was a common ancient Near Eastern view right. that the gods would smell this and then they come down and devour it. Hmm. And you twice have in the Old Testament sacrifices being referred to as the food of God. So there's a little bit of cultural influence there. Yep. Thankfully, the Spirit of God was able to get them out of the idea that God actually consumed the, 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 the meal. But uh, he, he let him go ahead and keep on believing that I like the smell of it. You guys need that one. I'll, I, I'll leave it. <laughs> but at the end of the Old Testament, it's clear that Yahweh doesn't enjoy these sacrifices at all. Yeah, the <laughs> prophets. Yeah. Mm. Um, but when it comes to violence, oh, no progress need be made. Uh, God, they got it right, right from the go. It was, even though the Bible itself says that God's people were hard-hearted and didn't know God and there's no knowledge of God in the land and so on, we're supposed to believe that they got it exactly right. Uh, that on this one area, God's violence—it's all got to be literal. Mm. Yeah. So we come—we come by this honestly, is what you're saying. Like theologically, honestly, we've inherited centuries of looking at interpreting uh, the Scripture in a certain way. Right. And right. so, w- when we're going to challenge that, like the, we we do come up with in our own minds, like you said, Matt, this is controversial. This is. Um, you know, in, in a sense, like people are like, wait, what, can we read the Bible this way? So it's going to feel really new to most people. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So and yeah. the thing is, you know, we're, we're, we're neurologically wired, maybe unfortunately, but we're, we're wired to whatever we're used to, whatever we're familiar with feels right to us. It feels true. Mm, yeah. Uh, it, we're used to it. And so anything new initially feels untrue, unless... You've, you're already dissatisfied with what you've been believing to be true. There's a, there's something in there that doesn't line up. Well, now you'll be willing to, to investigate other ways of looking at things. But if this has been working for you, mm. it's very hard for people to, to embrace a new idea just on its own merits. That we like to believe what we like to believe, and we like to believe what we've always believed because yep. we like to be right. Yep. And I've always. And so it, it's it's it will feel unnatural to people. But the thing is, once you, I find, it, it was for me too. Like when I first started seeing this ten years ago. At first, it was like, uh, I don't know. You know, it was kind of, it was awkward. Mm. But I found that the more I lived in this and the more, you know, I read the Bible in this light, became natural. And then, honestly, those, like the the portrait of God saying, show no mercy, slaughter every man, woman, child, animal, infant, for an entire population. And do it as an act of worship to me. Mm -hmm. That's what this, the idea of utterly destroys harim in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And, and it has a, a connotation of devote to, as an act of worship, slaughter these people. Um, I, that used to be the, the number one challenge that I faced in believing the Bible to be all inspired to be the word of God. Mm. Some, some of the portraits of God in the Old Testament are truly, truly horrendous. Now that I know how to, in, in, once I got, was able to interpret them through the lens of the cross, however, and I began to see the cross in them, uh, that they, how they point to the cross. Now, actually, those, the way that they point to the cross to me is like one of the confirmations that the Bible's inspired. I, I, I now see the beauty behind the ugliness. Hmm. Uh, and that's what the crucifixion of the Word of God is all about. Yes. Finding hmm. the beauty behind the ugliness. Man. Well, if you're interested in more of that, Cross Vision is a great popular introduction yeah. to crucifixion of the Word of God. Uh, I will say. You probably point out that. that uh, Okay, the Christmas of the Warrior God is an academic book. It's two volumes, about fifteen hundred pages. Yes. Cross Vision is a popular level book. It's about two hundred forty pages, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's much more readable. If you're academic, get the academic one. If you're just common layperson, get the Cross Vision. Yep, that's yeah. great. And there's a study or guide. Just don't have much time. Get Cross Vision. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Right. It did take me a while to get through Crucifixion yeah. of the Warrior God. But I guess I guess what we <laughs> I want to mine out a bit, Greg. Like the so what? Like if God isn't the patron saint of Christendom. You know, if God isn't uh, appearing to us in the sky so we can slaughter our enemies, you know, if God isn't legitimizing 
all the means, violent, coercive means to reach whatever ends. If there is suffering in our culture that's making our commitment to a coercive power less and less tenable, like we're seeing all the the all hell breaking loose in our churches and our mm-hmm. world because of it, and yeah. we don't want to ascribe it to the God, what does it look like then to yeah. begin to imagine power, embodied relational power, in a cruciform, canonic sense, in a cross-shaped, self-emptied sense, not in a coercive, controlling sense? Right, right. That's well, and, and, and I'll just say that the question you just asked is one that we should always be living in because uh, it's commanded in the Bible. <laughs> uh, you know, well, Ephesians five: uh, be imitators of God. He says, mm. and, and for imitate, there's mimetai, which means to, to we, we we get the word mimic from it. Yeah, right. it means to do exactly what you see another doing. Now, how do we mimic God? Well, Paul goes on to answer that, or whoever wrote Ephesians goes on to answer that by saying, be imitators of God, live in love as Christ loved us and gave His life for us which is a strong testament to the deity of Jesus because to imitate God is to imitate Jesus. Yep. Right. But we're, we're specifically supposed to do it in the way that he gave his life for us on the cross. Live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life. So whatever else we do, and, and if we're supposed to live in this, um, that means there's no off button. Uh, and this is <laughs> that, that, that we do sometimes but not others or with regard to some people, not others, whether they're friends or enemies or coworkers or parishioners. Our job is to love. Now, the question is, like, what does that look like in every in any kind of particular context? Yeah. Um, so can you be more specific about what you're— Sure. Like, uh, sure. So, like, we've got—so, like, there's a traditional understanding of that text of, yes, that's for personal piety. But if I work for the government or if I work for, uh, you know, uh, Apple computers, then there's there's a two-kingdom kind of understanding, right? So there's this power that I have to—there's there's a way to get things done in the world— and then there's yeah. the nice religious spiritual sentiment so, of being imitating God. Yeah. Right, so right, Brian right. Zahn talks about it as like Jesus being relegated to the secretary of afterlife affairs. Yeah. Right? So it, it, secretary you know, of post, the administrator of postmortem affairs. Right, yeah. right. And so it's, it's not even that most people are, are, I think, wanting God to justify their own violence. I think it's that, that most people have a hermeneutic that says, like, that's great for personal piety. And then in my personal relationships, I probably shouldn't yell at people. You know, yeah. But when it comes to like political, like we should still have, you know, like they don't bring Jesus and love those considerations into their thinking about immigration policy or into mm-hmm. their thinking about how the government. They sort of just say like, well, the government should just like Jesus didn't tell Caesar how to run Rome, so we should just let the government kind of you know do its thing. So I don't well, know. Well, you know, the, the thing is this, that, I mean, the, the, I think there's a big truth to the, the, the claim that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, and it runs on totally different principles yeah. um, than any of the kingdoms of this world. And, um, and, and it, yeah, so there is, I, I don't think Jesus came to tweak the governments of this world to give us the new and improved best version of, you know, the, mm-hmm. of, of Caesar's kingdom. Uh, it's a completely different kind of thing. And, and, and it raises this issue that, if you're called to live this cruciform life, this other-oriented life, um, a servant life, uh, Jesus, you know, knowing that he received all power, yes. that all things have been given to him, John 13, what do you do when you know that you have all the power in the world? Well, we, we know what people usually do if they have whatever degree of power they have, power, they use it to their own advantage. That's what yeah. kings and gods have always done. Uh, Jesus doesn't do that. He has all the power in the world, but he puts a towel on his waist and starts washing the feet of his disciples, which was a servant's job. Yes. And even before that, he's in heaven, but he sets aside all the advantages, all the prerogatives, kenosis. He, he empties himself in order to come down to earth, become a human being, and uh, and, and give his life for us. Hmm. We're, we're, we're supposed to imitate that. Now, that. now, we can't possibly actually imitate that because we don't have all the power in the world. But whatever we have say so, we're supposed to use it, not in service to ourselves, but in service to others. Yep. And so mm. is, is, um, whereas the world is always like people are saying, how can I acquire power for my own advantage to get my way to impose my will on others? Uh, that's a common thing in the fallen world. But for the kingdom person, you have to ask, how do I use this power to help others, to serve others, uh, mm. and ultimately to reflect God's character? Yeah. Um, so like running a church up. then, Greg, like, yeah. I think yeah. our imagination on how to run a church, like running a business, is, you know, Greg has all the best ideas. He pulls levers and people to get them to accomplish and achieve his ideas, yeah. right? And if the people aren't uh, producing or they're underachieving, then you either motivate them to get them to do what you want or you eliminate them. Right. Right? But let's say you... Uh, yeah. Right? Let's say you have somebody, right. somebody on your staff who is um, re- uh, 
who is not doing their job well. Maybe uh-huh. it's maybe it's not maybe it's not a um, um, like a mortal sin, but they're either incompetent or they're struggling. What? How does like we have an imagination for how to either threaten that person and then fire that person, right? Mm-hmm. But what is does love threaten? Does love fire? Or does love have a different operating system in the running of a large organization like Woodland Hills? Well, you're, you're raising a great question, Matt, and this is a question that we wrestle with quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, at Woodland Hills. Uh, I wish it was a, a real simple, clean solution, but uh, it, it's not. And here's why. So well, one of the things that we've arrived at is that, that part of the uh, cruciform mindset that we're cultivating on staff is that we, we don't like to have lone rangers who, who just impose their will on others. Mm-hmm. We think that the job of the leaders are, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's about yeah, it's servant leadership. We're yep. here to serve people and, and, and to bring out the best in them to do the most for the kingdom that we can. But, but there's always an other oriented focus. So, so we, everything at Willow Hills runs by teams. We've got you know, teams in place that um, you know, are over different areas of the ministry. And that's really an advantage because the teams self-monitor. If a person is not uh, equipped for a certain job, it becomes clear in the team. So it's not just a matter of the boss going to the individual saying, you're not doing your job, but, you know, blah, blah. but the team is there to kind of encourage. And if the person's not in the right place, well, then that team wants to help that person find the right place right. and do it in a gracious, gracious way. And if, if their place isn't anywhere on staff, well, then to help them see that for themselves. So it's not just a fiat sort of you know, firing thing. It's a, it's a, it's a relational thing. Yes. And, uh, um, and, and if the team isn't capable of doing that, and that happens sometimes, uh, people get offended or whatever, well, then that's when the leadership comes in and helps that team to, to work through this issue. But it's always done. It, it, we're not just asking what's good for us in the church, but we're also asking what's good for this person. Yes. And usually if a person is not in the right job, it's not good for the church or the person. Yeah. And so we're trying to help them with both. Yeah. But see, the thing is, there is, there does come a time where you have to, we, we had to fire people, mm-hmm. not many, but, but, and usually we're able to, the people see see for themselves that this isn't working out, whatever. Yeah. But once in a while you get a person who is just obstinate or whatever. And, and there comes a point where you say, I'm sorry, but this, we can't be spending, uh, you know, these people give their money to, to support us, to do, to do what we're supposed to do. And it's just not, good integrity if it's being wasted on a person who can't do the job or won't do the job or whatever. Yeah. So that's where it gets kind of dicey. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, it's not like a commitment to either like have in my back pocket, this fiat firing thing that I, that I want to have in my back pocket or like some prior commitment to say, we're never going to fire anybody, but it's more a commitment to live in the way of love and to say like, you know, like, what's the most loving thing to do for this person who's a bad fit, right? Who isn't able to accomplish the job that, that needs to get done? Like, h- right, how right, do we right, love right. this person? And loving that person does not include pretending that everything's fine. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and, and allowing them to continue to sort of fail and struggle and, and then just say, well, everything's, you know, everything's fine. Yep. So love, love actually does have some teeth. I think that's the main worry that a lot of people have is like, does love have teeth? Like, is love just niceness? Oh, no, no, no. Sometimes, oh, Jesus show some tough love. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Lion leaders of the blind. Yeah. No, so, yeah. It, sometimes love has to be, and parents know that. Sure. Uh, it's, you know, it, it, sometimes you've got to crack down. And, 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 and that's where things can get ambiguous. It'd be mm-hmm. nice if the world was such that, oh, if you just keep on just love and gentleness, whatever, things will turn out wonderful. But, in the fallen world, sometimes you you have to. Yeah. Uh, if I see a loved one destroying themselves on drugs or something, I'm going to get in their face big time. Yeah, you have to tell I the have. truth. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's very godly because hmm. I'm doing it for them. You know, yeah. it, it, it's about what is best for them, and how can I use whatever say so I've got. Yeah. On their the other thing I the other thing I want to highlight that I'm hearing you say, Greg, is that. Um, all of these sort of tactical solutions that you've come up with, like, okay, we're going to operate in teams, and, you know, if the teams can't get the job done, then we, you know, like all of that kind of stuff, I think that's helpful for people to get an imagination. But I'm struck by the fact that you come up with those tactical creative solutions because you've made a commitment to live in love. Yeah, right. Right? You have... Right. You, Go ahead. A lot of what we do, we would not do if we're not... 
uh, if our center was not Christ, the, the cross, Christ, like mm-hmm. sacrificial, if that wasn't our center, our bullseye, uh, no, there's a ton of stuff we wouldn't be doing now that we're doing. We, we, yeah. we end up, and, and this is an important point too, because like when you to live in love, it's, it's not the same as like coming up with the right set of rules for every situation. Yes. Um, in fact, you know, Bonhoeffer says this, he said that, that in his book ethics, that uh, the law or rules, you can put in you know, law rules, regulations, whatever, that those things can never get close enough to reality to know what is really the wise thing to do in any particular circumstance. He says, only mm-hmm. love is able to get into the situation, incarnate in the situation enough in a person's life to have some wisdom about what is appropriate here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you can have principles. We all need to have principles. But how they apply to any particular situation is always going to be a little different. So committing to living a certain way is far more important than trying to arrive at the right rule and what to do in this situation or that situation yes. or, 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 or whatever. Yep. And so you're kind of making it up as you go along. <laughs> freaks people out. Well, it freaks does. people out. It does. People it calls, get freaked out. Spirit. Yeah. Well, when you put it that way, Greg, it seems like a bad thing. <laughs> no. Um, no. Yeah. That, and that, that's, that's, I think, the point I want to highlight is that I think what keeps people from this, going all the way, so to speak, like to say, like, all right, we're going to live in love, is they, they are afraid. They are afraid that that might mean, you know, like, well, what happens if I if I have a situation that I don't know what to do with underperforming staff member or you know that that kind of a thing, and I think there is this there is, we can never give people enough reassurances that it'll be okay. Here's a policy. Here's an here's you know you can never give people enough of that. It's never going to fill that void. There has to be this uh, risk of faith, this leap of faith, where you're like, all right, I'm going to trust that. Love can get the job done. If I make a commitment to it, if I learn to live in it, then I will actually have the wisdom to know what to do yeah. in these situations. And maybe there's even a more fundamental thing going on there. Uh, and that is, like, why are you so afraid of, mm. of not working right? Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it was his church, and I thought he's supposed to build it, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I will build my church. And so I, my job is to plant water, but God gives the increase, and God's going to build it. So it's his church. Our, so at Woodland Hills, our, our commitment is this, that we we put faithfulness over productivity. We want to be faithful to what we're called to be and who we're called to be. That's mm-hmm. the bullseye. Uh, and now we want to do it as we're operating out of our gifts of leadership. Uh, but we are more concerned with being faithful to the character that we're supposed to represent than we are to being productive. Mm-hmm. Um now, even that, I, 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 when I give with one hand, I take back with the other, because I, I, if you interviewed, like, Janice, my executive pastor, and Paul Eddy, I'm usually the one who's pushing more towards productivity, because you can go on the other side yep. and make unproductivity a virtue. Like, right. we're so loving that we don't care how inefficient this church is. <laughs> I hate that, too. Yes. So I want efficiency. I don't want to take it off the table. But 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 faithfulness is, is the, the higher priority. Yeah, there's a modern idol of efficiency and productivity. I think it's yeah, one of the- in, in church. It's it's yeah. It, it's really just a re- pastor's job is to be a religious CEO and yeah. says, mm-hmm. boom, 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 and, and and you carry out my vision and you and it's uh, we, we think that's just profoundly un. New Testament. Yeah, it is. And what I hear you saying, though, Greg, is the the way to overcome the temptation to make an idol of efficiency and productivity isn't to stay as far away from it as possible, but right. but mm-hmm. rather it's to uh, subvert it with the yeah. with the cross of Jesus and put that at the center, and then idols right. idols then Absolutely. get cast down. Yeah. And, and and the the point I was making before is that there's a tendency. It's a fallen tendency, but it's reinforced at every turn of the world uh, where where uh, it, it, there's a Pastors want to say, "This is my church, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I'm building it, and it reflects on them." Uh, you know, so their identity is wrapped up in it, their worth is wrapped up in it, and and that's why they get mad if if, if I've had pastors call me. If someone in their church decides to go to your church, the pastor gets mad, calls it, "Why are you stealing my sheep?" Mm-hmm. It's like, "Oh, I didn't know they were yours. <laughs> and, and, and I, I didn't steal." Right, I didn't take them; they just showed up. No, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. I, 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 I know they're, they're supposed to be following the good shepherd. And, but anyways, um, right. uh, it, it's that, and that's why you want control. Like Control, it, it, the, yeah, that's big. More important is this for me and my identity, the more I want to control it and get the, the, trust my abilities. And it's mm. hard to give it away because if, they if they're not efficient, well, then it's going to be bad on me. And that, that you got to die to that. That's yes. just idolatry. You got to die to that. 
Yep. Yeah. Get your life from Christ, not from what you think you're doing for Christ. Yep. Yeah. So here's some here's some then tactical practical takeaways from this. One is notice where notice where control right. <laughs> notice where Sorry. control shows up in your life because control is the opposite of love. Right, self willfulness. Right, and and yeah. and and God wants to meet you in that control and give mm-hmm. you your identity, rather than you drawing it from how yeah. big your church is or how great your sermons are. It's right. exactly repent and get saved. Number one, yeah, get yep. saved. <laughs> uh, pastor is going to get saved up here, <laughs> here today. Uh, get num- saved, die to self. Yeah, number two, yeah. There's, there's a social architecture, Greg, that you guys have organized yourself not because. Not because like co-pastoring mutual leadership is all trendy, but because that's the social architecture in which love can flourish. And I think that's also the paradigm you find in the New Testament. It's it's, it's team all the way down. You know, even Jesus didn't go solo; he had a community around him. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so it, it it is what love looks like, and it's also what the precedent of the New Testament is. Yes. and you'd expect it to be the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a we call it a numocracy, like a a spirit. Empowered. This is Ephesians 4. You already talked about this. Like the job of the leaders is to equip people and build them up in maturity mm-hmm. and love. Yeah. Right, and right, we right. trust that the spirits at work ruling, yep. the, I mean, crassy, the pneumocracy, you know, has to do with who's in charge. And so we trust the spirits in charge. And the way that we discern what the spirit is saying to the church is through mutuality and relationship through yeah. teams. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the third thing I heard you say is when somebody's creating a problem, Either they're not doing their job, or they're falling behind, or they're um, that you don't you don't eliminate the problem or fix the problem. You tend to the person, mm-hmm. and if you yep. if you tend to the person, the problem will take care of itself. But if you tend to the problem, you may leave the person behind. Yeah, you probably will leave the person behind. Um, hmm. But I can't say that the problem will take care of itself. I wish I could say that all the time, but sometimes mm. we have free will, in my view, and 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 people can either choose to go along, I mean, choose to follow the spirit or not. And if the person is just resistant, you know, like if 14 people are telling you the same thing, you might want to listen to that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but you're, you're not. Yeah. And, and, and so what do you do if, you know, sometimes you have to walk away. And yeah. 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 So, so saying that the problem will take care of itself doesn't mean I'm just going to care for somebody uh, until they sort of, resolve this themselves but it but it right, has to right, do right. it has to do with more of saying like treating it as in our language we call it a kairos like treating it as a kairos like okay this is something's happening here and we attend to this we tend to what's happening in this person and are they receptive to you know right. loving like sort of let's let's talk about this and and if they're not receptive there is i mean we know pastors who've had to do this very recently yep. right where they're they they have uh resistant very resistant staff members who eventually you you have to set a boundary there to say, hey, I think this is bad integrity and stewardship of our resources mm-hmm. to continue to do this, and you're miserable anyway. You know, like mm-hmm. let's yep. find a good place for you to yep. thrive. Yep, it's not here. I don't it's, think. I, I, it's all it's always good. Part of the cruciform mindset, I think, is that when, when, if and I've had this actually happen when there's uh, I pick up resistance to me or resistance to the team uh, in, in a person. It's always good to ask, okay, why and and what are they seeing? Yeah. Maybe there's some legitimacy there. Maybe I'm right. a jerk in certain areas, and so they're healthy at resisting me. So yeah. you have to first look at yourself and, and ask, yeah. you know, what's there? Yeah. It's and a then chi- turn to situation. Yeah, totally. it's a kairos for the whole church, not just this person. It's not just this yeah. person misbehaving. It's like, is there is there something for us all to learn here? Like, what's what's happening here? Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's great. Uh, let, let me, uh, maybe we can close it out, Greg, with uh, maybe just hearing you talk a little bit more about... What are some indications for you personally where you, you know this is what love lives like? You know, so what are some of the yeah. ways you assess or um, indicate? What, what are indications to you of, yes, I'm living in this cruciform love, or maybe contrarily, what, what, are some of the, what are some of the warning lights for you of like, okay, I'm getting, I'm not centering my life in the cruciform love of God? Yeah, thank you. Good question. Um, and by the way, uh, when you're talking, you're breaking up a little bit. Uh, so I might be breaking up on you a little bit. I, I don't know how if you're even hearing me, but just wanted to flag that. Yeah, thanks, man. Okay, so um, you know, I, I guess it, it's it's uh, how, how, how do you monitor that? Uh, it, I I I know when I'm not being Christ-like, or usually after the fact. It's like okay, that wasn't really Christ-like. <laughs> um, and, and and it's always when 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 I I, I want to get my way. Uh, it's something that's, it's, it's in it for me. 
not to have to go the extra mile. It's, it's actually pretty obvious uh, in most cases Hmm. uh, where you just, yeah, it's self over other instead of other over self. Hmm. And I know when I'm, I'm I'm doing a Christ-like thing when, um, I mean, one of the things is that at least in certain situations, when you're really Christ-like, you'll look foolish. Uh, It will look dumb and Hmm. people may, but, 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 but the cross is, it's foolish to the world and it's it's weakness to the world, but to us it's the power and the wisdom of God. I mean that that, that verse first Corinthians 1 18 through 30. Yes. I yeah. think that is so that is so powerful and so I guess you know that that's divinely inspired because no human being has ever said anything like this. Nope. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of power we've always described to God is the powers we lust after, and it's the power to protect yourself and to defeat your enemies and to impose your will on others. Here Paul says the cross is the power of God. And so, so when you're doing stuff that that people who 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 are in, a, in a, on the inside of it go, yeah, that's pretty weird. Like, why would you do that? Um, hmm. I mean, there, there's I, I don't I, I, there's one example that's came to mind. But if I shared it publicly, there's it's unlikely, but it's possible it could get back to a person. So I better not use it. But like, if someone's mistreating you and you just keep loving on them, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're being a total jerk, and you keep loving on them, and that just makes them more of a jerk. Well, that's, I know I'm doing something right. And, mm. and the fact that other people are saying, write them off, get rid of them. It'll be done with this. Yes. Why are you doing that? Yes. You know, um, they don't do anything for you, but yet you keep on. Well, that that's, you're going in the right direction. Yes. Foolishness and, you know and weakness. Yes. And, and, and you have to die to yourself. You yes, have to die you to do. that. But man, when you get there, it's so joyful. Mm. It, 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 to be free of that is so, it, it's just, that's joy. And that's peace. Yeah. Uh, and that's love. It, 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 those things go together. To find it, that zone where it's like, this one person I'm thinking of right now, I, I delight. I, I, I've actually, I delight in doing the service to them, mm. even though it just makes, they, they just keep on, I'm, I'm pouring uh, the coals of fire on their head. And it, I think mm. it's bringing conviction, which is why they go after me even worse. Mm. But it's like, what yeah. a great opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah for I don't know if it's going yeah, I th- I I heard- to result in this person's conversion or not, but. Mm. I am praying for that. Yes. And I heard you just mention that, you know, half of the fruit of the Spirit. Like, if you if you experience the fruit of the Spirit, it's an indication that the Spirit has greater purview mm. and and domain in your life, right? That right. You're living it's in fruit. Love. It, it, it's growing in you, and, and it's not—you're not, like, specifically trying to get it to grow. You're, it's— like the fruit of the spirit should feel like a little bit of a surprise. Like what? Like wow, something's happening here. This is you know this is yeah. this is brilliant. Yeah. Oh, we just popped up. Yeah, look at this. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm hearing you say, yeah, there's, Greg, there's surprising, surprising <laughs> patience, surprising yeah. joy. It's yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, it, it's it's very very cool. Yeah. Cool. So I'm yeah, hearing so you say, sell sell your uh, sell your control, sell your uh, manipulative tactics, and buy the field of love. Because there's a treasure of joy in the midst of that field, and well it's worth said. it's right. worth it all, right? The joy is worth the like. It's way better than control. You can give up all this anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it really is like it, there is such a uh, almost all of our anxiety is the result of our focusing on ourselves. I'm not going to get what I want. Yeah, I want to have the biggest in town. I want this. I want to have that. And 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 then we get the the tighter we cling to that the more anxiety we have over it. Yep. But if you can die to that, if you just die to that, there's just this, uh, and, and get your life from Christ. Well, it, it's just so freeing. I, I, mm. I, I, you know, the thing is, is I don't worry about wilderness church once in a while I do, but, but, but there could come a time. And in fact, I think there will come a time where, where it's no longer going to be a missionary advantage. And now 50 years from now, I don't think churches like Woodland Hills are going to be around. I, I think it's going to be much more, maybe a few, but, but it's going to be much more, smaller venues, house churches and stuff. But so what? I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's not my job to build a church. I want to do the best I can. I'll preach the best I can. I'll run a team the best I can. But at the end of the day, it's not mine. And 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 so it, it, as long as I'm doing what I'm called to do, I, I just leave it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it, he'll take care of it. And if it goes south, it goes south. Yes, Greg, thank Beautiful. you so much. Beautifully said. We appreciate you. Well, bless you guys. I, I, I like what you're talking about. I like how you're thinking. I like this podcast. This is great. Thanks, dude. All right. Take care. Peace. Peace out. See you all. Keep loving. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. 
If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.